Welcome to episode 22 of George's Random Astronomical Object. Every episode, I run the random number generator to select random astronomical coordinates in the sky, and I then search for an astronomical object near those coordinates and talk about what makes that object so interesting to astronomers. So let's run the random number generator. The generator seems to have an interesting idea about what marine mammals sound like. But in any case, the coordinates for this episode are 0 hours, 14 minutes, 53.6 seconds right ascension, and negative 39 degrees, 11 minutes, 48 seconds declination. These coordinates land on an object which is almost halfway between the constellations of Sculptor and Phoenix, which are both Southern Hemisphere constellations, called NGC 55. This object is called a Magellanic-type irregular galaxy. This class of galaxies is named after the Magellanic Clouds, a pair of irregular galaxies that are orbiting the Milky Way so close that they are visible without a telescope, and if they weren't visible only from the Southern Hemisphere, everybody would already know exactly what I'm talking about. NGC 55 is like the Magellanic Clouds, but located further away, at a distance of about 6.5 million light-years, or 2.0 megaparsecs. The galaxy lies within a group of galaxies called the Sculptor Group, a nearly gravitationally bound system that also contains the galaxies NGC 247, NGC 253, NGC 300, and NGC 7793, as well as lots of other dwarf galaxies. The Sculptor Group is a close neighbor of the Local Group, which is the gravitationally bound system that contains our galaxy, the Andromeda Galaxy, M33, and lots of extra dwarf galaxies as well. NGC 55 has the interesting distinction of being the closest galaxy that we can see edge-on from Earth. Even though the galaxy is irregularly shaped and looks asymmetric with a bright blob of stars on one side of the galaxy, it still appears flat as seen from the side. As a consequence of this, people like to go observe NGC 55 to understand how various things are distributed vertically in galaxies in general. Galaxies seen edge-on like this are very important for this type of study because we can't really examine the vertical distribution of stuff very well in other galaxies. When looking at our own galaxy, we have difficulty figuring out what's inside the disk and what's either above or below the disk because we are sitting somewhere in the middle of the disk looking through all of the stuff in our disk. We also can't really examine the vertical distribution of stuff in other nearby galaxies where we are looking straight down onto the disk like the Magellanic Clouds or M33 or even galaxies which are moderately inclined as seen from Earth like the Andromeda Galaxy, because when we look at these galaxies, it's tough to figure out whether we are looking at something inside the disk, in front of the disk, or behind the disk. 
Since we see NGC 55 Edge on, it's easy to tell what stuff is inside the disk or above the disk or below the disk, although the difference between what counts as above and what counts as below is kind of arbitrary here, but it just sounds better than just saying outside the disk. I could say outside the plane of the galaxy, but that somehow doesn't seem to convey the same mental image as above and below the plane of the galaxy. Anyhow, since NGC 55 is seen edge on, we can see things such as how gas and stars are distributed vertically or how stars slowly end up moving out of the plane of the galaxy over time. NGC 55 also attracts a lot of attention because it is a nearby dwarf galaxy and because, as compared to larger spiral galaxies like the Milky Way, dwarf galaxies generally contain few heavy elements relative to hydrogen and helium. These heavier elements are created by a combination of fusion processes in the centers of stars and fusion processes in the outer atmospheres of dying stars. So we know that the reason why dwarf galaxies contain fewer heavy elements is somehow linked to either what the timelines are for the creation of these heavy elements or what happens to the gas from the stars when they die. NGC 55 is like other dwarf galaxies in that it contains relatively few heavy elements, but what makes it a little bit more intriguing is that people are debating whether more heavy elements are found in the center of NGC 55 as compared to the outside, or if the heavy elements are evenly distributed throughout the galaxy. If they are evenly distributed, it suggests that the heavy elements that are blown out of the stars when they die are spread out over a broader area than would be the case for a typical spiral galaxy. This could happen because NGC 55 is less massive, so the galaxy exerts less gravitational force on the gas expelled by the dying stars, and the gas ends up all over the place, like a bag of exploding microwave popcorn. Also, very interestingly, a couple of regions located above or below the disk, I'm not really sure what to call it, have recently formed stars, and these regions have very, very few heavy elements compared to the disk, which was already low in heavy elements to begin with. This implies that the stars formed out of the gas located either above or below the plane of the galaxy rather than forming inside the disk of the galaxy and then getting ejected later. I study star formation in galaxies and I think it's just plainly weird to find star formation taking place outside the plane of any galaxy. NGC 55 also contains a notable ultraluminous X-ray source, or ULX. This object is unimaginatively named NGC 55 ULX. If you think that the part of the sky that is located above the North Pole as seen from Earth is the direction up, then NGC 55 ULX is located slightly above the plane of NGC 55 and slightly off to the left from the center of the galaxy. Ultraluminous X-ray sources are defined as objects that produce more X-rays than 10 to the 39th power ergs per second. That's a 1 followed by 39 zeros, and then ergs per second as the units. An erg per second is a unit of power equivalent to one ten millionth of a watt, which makes it a stupidly small unit of measurement to use in astronomy or even to use when discussing light bulbs. 
A clearer definition is that ultraluminous X-ray sources produce an amount of X-ray emission that's about 324,000 times the total amount of energy emitted by the sun. ULXs also need to be located outside the center of the galaxy. While this definition makes it easy to label these types of objects, astronomers are still trying to figure out what these objects actually are. If you go back to episode 17, I describe an X-ray source in our own galaxy that consists of a rather ordinary star and a relatively small black hole about three times the mass of the sun orbiting each other in a binary star system. The black hole is stripping gas from the other star. The gas forms a disk as it slowly falls into the black hole, and it gets extremely hot near the edge of the black hole, which is how it produces X-ray emission. ULXs are thought to be similar, except that they are too bright for gas to be falling in at a normal pace onto a black hole, as normal as that may seem. Instead, ULXs could be binary star systems where gas is being stripped from ordinary stars into neutron stars with extremely strong magnetic fields, or they could be just like normal X-ray binary star systems with small black holes except that huge amounts of gas are falling all at once onto the black holes, or they could be much larger black holes that no longer need to be in binary star systems that are somewhere between 1,000 and 100,000 times the mass of the Sun. NGC 55 ULX happens to be a relatively nearby ULX, so people who want to learn more about these types of objects are going to spend a lot of time looking at it. You would think that astronomers would be using X-ray observatories to probe whether NGC 55 ULX contains a neutron star or a black hole, but instead they used X-ray observatories to answer a completely different science question. Astronomers noticed that the X-ray emission from NGC 55 ULX varies on timescales of minutes, and that the higher frequency X-ray emission seems to be more strongly affected. The gas is still expected to be falling into either a black hole or a neutron star in the disk in this ULX. What astronomers suspect is that we are actually viewing the edge of this disk of the infalling gas just like we are viewing the edge of the disk for NGC 55 itself, and that clouds in the outer disk in NGC 55 ULX occasionally block the X-ray emission from the center just like clouds of interstellar dust in NGC 55 itself block starlight from its center. This would link NGC 55 ULX to another class of X-ray sources called ultraluminous supersoft sources, or ULSs. This sounds like they should be the cuddly plush version of ULXs that you can buy in toy stores. But ULSs are actually defined as objects that also produce more than 10 to the 39th power ergs per second of X-ray radiation, but that radiation consists mainly of low-frequency X-rays. Astronomers have proposed that ULSs and normal ULXs are the same type of objects, but that normal ULXs are objects where we are above the disks and able to see the X-rays coming from where gas is falling into the central neutron star or black hole, while ULSs 
are objects where we are looking at the edges of the disks and where clouds in the disks block the strongest X-ray emission from the central regions. NGC 55UOLX just happens to be oriented in such a way that we sometimes see the central region, in which case it looks like a normal ULX, and sometimes a random cloud passes in front and we don't see the center, in which case it looks more like a ULS. As a final note, NGC 55 is sufficiently close to Earth that it can be seen rather easily with amateur telescopes although you have to go to the Southern Hemisphere, or at least the tropics, to have any chance to see it. It isn't really located near any distinct stars. If you can find the constellation Phoenix, imagine a line running southeast to northwest through the two brightest stars in the constellation. NGC 55 is located close to the same line, at a distance from the northwest star equivalent to about half the distance between the two stars themselves. The center of the galaxy itself will be visible with a telescope with a diameter of about 15 centimeters or 6 inches, and it will even be possible to see the dust lanes within the plane of the galaxy. With a larger telescope, it's possible to see the full extent of the galaxy which is about the same width as the moon. So that's my summary on NGC 55 with the bonus object of NGC 55 ULX. The location on the Earth's surface corresponding to the position of NGC 55 in the sky is in the Atlantic Ocean, about halfway between Cape Town, South Africa, and Gough Island. The website for this podcast is www.randomastronomicalobject.com. You can visit the website to download episodes of the show, read information about the astronomical objects, view images of those objects, and send me random feedback. The audio was recorded and edited by George Bendo. The music is Immersion by Sasha Endy at www.sasha-endy.de, which is distributed by filmmusic.io under a CC 4.0 attribution license. The sound effects are from the Freesound Project at www.freesounds.org. Thanks for listening. 